And this is the word of the Lord. Matthew 2, 1 through 18. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Then, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, and said, Rise, take the child and its mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose, and took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem, and in all that region where, um, who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud, and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted because they are no more. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let me pray for us. God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you in a strange way. We thank you for the story and the challenge it is to us. Um, we just... Thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this time of Christmas and time of New Year and all that you've brought us through. God, challenge us today and help us to be faithful to your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are going to continue to talk about reactions to Christmas, which feels weird because it's a whole other year now. It feels like a year away. Uh, not exactly, but uh, we're going to continue our series for this week. Um, Again, the series was inspired by a book entitled Hidden Christmas, The Surprising Truth Behind the Birth of Christ by Timothy Keller. Um, it's, it's a quick read, but it got me thinking about the different figures within the Christmas story and wanting to dig a little deeper in how they reacted and maybe how that challenges us by how we react. And so um, that's kind of my disclaimer of, of what we're doing in case you haven't been able to join us for any of the other times. So... What we're going to talk about today, though, if you remember, we have several different things we've talked about. This is our fancy Christmas tree that I drew. So nice, right? That's a marker I knocked off. 
talked about Mary and her reaction and how that process went when the angel approached her uh, and just appeared and said, hey, guess what? You're going to um, give birth to the Messiah. That was, I'm sure, and, and it was a very shocking thing, but she processes through that and says, um, just declares her faithfulness. Then we talked about, there goes the other marker. I don't know why they're knocking off every time. Uh, then, we, then we talked about um, the, the actual birth story. The angels, as they came to see the baby Jesus, and the angels, they came to declare his birth to the shepherds. The shepherds, in their uh, excitement, go and find the baby Jesus. And, and we talked about their reactions and how they shared with others. We then talked about the gift the, that um, Simeon, waiting in the temple, responds when he sees Jesus because he knows this is what God has promised. God promised um, the, the Messiah would come and that Simeon would see it. And so um, he, he's just excited as he holds the baby Jesus and understands the gift that God has given to him. So we've talked about all these different things, um, but my question for the kids this morning is, I want to make a list really quick, and I'll find the markers that I threw on the floor. Um, I want to make a list of all the characters in the Christmas story. So let me, let me write those out. What are the figures... I hesitate on the word characters because I don't want you to think they're not real because they are. This is a true story. So who are the figures of the Christmas story? What, what figures do we need? If we're going to do, uh, maybe think about uh, the traditional Christmas play. In a play, if we were to act out the Christmas story, who would we need? What parts would we have? Mary. Mary. Okay. Okay. She's Joseph. Joseph. Jesus, yeah, there's need for the baby. We have shepherds. I heard someone say wise men. Yeah. Camels. We need camels. Okay. What? Angels. What was that last one I didn't hear? A donkey? Okay. Sheep. We need sheep too? Yep. Do we get it all? What was that? Oh, wait a second. How many of you have ever seen a Christmas play? How many of you have ever seen a Christmas play with King Herod in it? You did? I haven't even seen one. With camels? Oh, or, well, someone... I was talking to some of the kids earlier, and they said the Christmas play that they could reference was Veggie Tales. Doing a, so vegetables doing a Christmas play. I don't know what to do with that, but... You said Herod. That's exciting. Why would you include Herod? Wait, if we're going to put Herod in there, we're going to have to add his soldiers, right? Because if we include the wise men, then the King Herod gets to be there. And if his, he gets to be there, we kept reading, the soldiers get to be there. I mean, if we really want to put it on there, the slaughtered babies. Like, this is, this is, this is my point. And this is actually exactly where I want it to go. 
So why do we not, why do you think we don't put Herod there? This is kind of a dark turn to the whole story. Um, if, but if we add the wise men, I don't know if you've seen your nativity sets, if you get a nativity set, oftentimes you're going to have, um, you're going to have the, the camels. Uh, we have one, uh, ceramic one with ha- the camels, and we're going to have, uh, we have the wise men there as they're coming, but, um, we don't tend to have King Herod and soldiers, though it's all at that same time. Nobody, I doubt, if you've not seen a play, that just answers it for me. But I doubt any of you have played Herod or the soldiers. I've never heard of them in a Christmas play either. And here's my logic. If we include the wise men and their camels, then our Christmas sto- in our Christmas story, our nativity scenes and all of that, which aren't entirely accurate, they didn't make it there at the same time as, say, the shepherds, then we should include, if we're going to include them, we should include Herod and his soldiers too. For the last several weeks, we've been discussing these reactions to Christmas We've talked of Mary and Joseph and their submission to God's plan and, and the shepherds and, as I said, Simeon. Um, and, and today we're going to look at the reactions of someone who is not very excited about Christmas. If you've been waiting to hear a Christmas sermon on King Herod, maybe you have been waiting for that. Maybe you've heard a lot of them. I doubt it. But you may have. Uh, this, is, this is the day you get to hear one. So, we love the wise men's reaction to Jesus. We love, they come from afar at great cost with their entourage, and they bring lavish gifts all to worship the king. And that's pretty cool uh, as we look at it. We should all be like the wise men. Come and bring what we can and bring, uh, bring ourselves to worship the king, Jesus. But in the story, we have Herod as well. While it's true that we should be like the wise men, there's some truth to the idea that in the human heart, we actually are much more like Herod in our responses to Jesus. Before we get ahead of ourselves, let's talk about some background. Because if we're going to talk about Herod, you need to know a little bit more about Herod than maybe that his name was Herod. So Herod was born in what we would call about 773 AD. Uh, his grandfather... Um, is that right? That doesn't seem right. I must be wrong on that one because that doesn't even make sense. His grand uh, would be BC. Um, his grandfather and his father's side, Antipas, uh, converted to Judaism during the reign of Hyrcanus. Uh, Nate, I need your help pronouncing some of these. After his birth, father's death by poisoning, Herod was appointed the king of Judea by Emperor Augustus and the Roman Senate in 39 BC. Uh, but, uh, and this is significant, according to Jewish law, he was unqualified for his position as king. So according to the Jewish laws, he couldn't be king, but Rome made him king. Although Herod had been raised with the beliefs and practices of the Jews, and despite his attempts to win their favor, the Jewish people hated Herod as a foreigner and as a friend of the Romans. So he wasn't very well liked. Then Herod also had a history of being troubled by rivals. Uh, early on, other surviving members of Herod's family were concerns for him, and he, quote, sought to solidify his position by marrying Mariamne, a princess of the Hasmonean line. He later had her executed, thinking that she would rouse popular um, uh, opposition to him. And so uh, Herod's then ten wives 
uh, over time, produced offspring who contended against each other for his throne. As Herod became older, he grew increasingly more paranoid, and he had a number of his own relatives in prison and executed, including, including two of his favorite sons, Alexander and Aristobulus. His sons by his first uh, wife that I mentioned earlier, Mariamne. Um, so his two favorite sons, he had them executed Um, and he had had their mom executed already by that point. He had his eldest son, Antipater III, by his wife Doris, executed just five days before his own death. After several incidents of this sort, even Caesar Augustus is quoted as uh, supposedly making a famous joke that he would rather be Herod's pig than his son. Herod was not a great guy. Not a very trusting guy um, and think about that in light of our story in hearing about a legitimate king that was born in Bethlehem of Judea about six miles away from Jerusalem where he was that's going to upset someone like Herod he hears it from wise men these whatever the wise men if you, uh, you understand them to be these these um, scholars these uh, people of some authorities from far away who come at great cost and at great time uh, to, to see this, this true king, Herod's going to be concerned. So not only is he concerned uh, that a legitimate king has been born, but that foreigners know about it. So not only is it that this happened, but other people from far away outside of his jurisdiction have heard about it already, and he hadn't, and they've come. What if the people of his kingdom start finding out about this thing? Herod's concerned. When the wise men don't see any new kings in Herod's palace, they move on. And it's actually likely that they were following protocol and paying homage to the ruling king to gain permissions. It could be those things. Verse 1 seems to suggest that the star seemed somewhat normal and brought them all the way to Jerusalem. Seems like that's the way it went, uh, but then gave no further details. So they had to ask. They, They had followed this star for a while following where it was, and it brought them to Jerusalem. So now they know, at least this far, but this, um, but they, that wasn't where they needed to go. They couldn't find a king there. Like I have often said, Christmas is a miraculous story. What we, we, we don't really know what this star is, nor how it moved, nor how it could rest over the place of Jesus and his family, which we see in verse 9. How does a star indicate a specific place? I don't know. I mean, you can imagine all sorts of ways. The, the ESV, the English Standard Version Study Bible, notes that the movement of the star in, in verse 9 suggests that it's not a natural phenomenon. It could be, uh, they suggest, maybe a comet or a supernova or a conjunction of planets, but it, was, uh, it couldn't be natural like those things, but it was supernatural. Because those things don't move in the sky like that. Perhaps a guiding angel had appeared as a star, some specially created heavenly phenomenon that had the brightness of a star. We just don't know. All that we know is that God guided the wise men to Jesus miraculously. Before they leave, Herod gets whatever details he can. When the star came, so actually he would know when the star showed up, the age of the child. And then, or pretty close. And then where he is to be found, they he gets Bethlehem out of his scholars uh, and knows that's where these guys are headed. He plans to kill this upstart king. But before he gets more specific details, the wise men go a different way. They don't come back and say, oh, it's this one. 
They don't point out the rival. Herod doesn't know which kid it is, which child it is, which boy it is. So Herod sends his soldiers to kill all of the like-aged baby boys in that whole area. Now I have to ask another question about this, this story. How much time has passed since Jesus' birth? This isn't the day after the shepherds left. And honestly, we can't know exactly when it was. The wise men set out when they saw a star rise. If the star came up on the night of Jesus' birth, possibly, uh, then, then we're likely talking about several months, if not longer. That is, if the wise men were prepared to leave the moment the star appeared. It may have taken them time to prepare. They may have had to research the scrolls of Isaiah to determine what gifts you would bring a king Like we read earlier in our service, Isaiah 60, verse 6, talks about gold and frankincense. You may have taken time to get the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh together to come. We don't know. We don't even know how many wise men actually came. We only guessed three because there were three gifts. Honestly, there isn't much more to it than that. We just don't know. There's more than one. They bring three gifts. Once they prepared, they would have had to travel. If Babylon, which is a pretty common place where people suggest is the origin of these wise men, Babylon, uh, if they're from there, is about an 800-mile journey. If their caravan traveled at 20 miles a day, which would be kind of their max speed, uh, and never slowed down or took a day off or rested, it would have taken them 40 days, probably longer. All this took time, financial commitment. As, any, as another detail, the word used for Jesus here in this part of Matthew and in comparison to Luke is more like a child, a young child or a child, not infant, suggesting that some time has passed. The wise men go to a house which indicates that Mary and Joseph had maybe settled in Bethlehem. Finally, Herod's orders are for all the boys two years and younger. To be killed. So the best we can do is understand that Jesus was between zero and two years old. I speculate that Herod was probably playing it safe. Maybe Jesus was about a year old or so, and Herod is getting rid of anyone above and below Jesus' age just to be sure. Wiseman gave Herod actually a pretty specific date in verse 7 when the star rises. So Herod actually could have been more precise, but he was making sure there were no mistakes. And no survivors. And all this background informs us as to why Herod does or acts as he does. And the story in the Bible um, is affirmed as authentic because it fits exactly what historically we know about this guy. So what do we do with all that? Why has Matthew preserved this story, this part of the story? What are we to learn from it? And it's important to remember Like in every gospel, every gospel writer, every really writer in the Bible has a limited amount of space. They're going to write about things that are significant and important. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had an enormous amount of material to draw on. They were selective. And what they chose to tell us uh, tells us something from uh, the life. Okay, sorry. They were selective. And when they, what they chose to tell us is important. is chosen specifically from the life of Jesus. It's always done for at least two reasons. The first is, it actually happened. They were writing about things that really took place. But second, it's also preserved because it's, it's revealing. There's intentionality in telling us this part. It reveals something about who Jesus really is and what he came to do and what his message and ministry were. 
So the question we have this morning is, what is Matthew telling us about the meaning of Christmas and about Jesus himself? So think with me here. What are the powers of a king? What authority does he have over his subjects and over life around him? And I don't mean modern kings. Uh, they usually are more like kings and titles only. Um, I mean the kings of olden days, of, of long ago. What kind of authority did they have? How would you describe the power of a king? And really, in one word, it's absolute. Even under Roman rule, kings um, that ruled under Rome, which is kind of funny to think about, had a lot of freedom to decide how they were going to handle things. And if they did it well, Rome was happy. If they didn't do it, like if, if they didn't create whatever Rome wanted, taxes and peace, um, then Rome was upset. But their power was enormous. A king makes whatever decisions he wants as long as they're king. Kings don't tend to have to listen to anybody else. They are the authority. And if you want to be king and someone else comes along saying that they're the king, then one of you has to give in. Only one person can sit on an absolute throne. But Jesus came to earth claiming to be God, which is in some ways the ultimate king beyond anyone else. Herod reacted to Jesus actually as many people do. Herod asserts himself as king. He rejects any challenger, and his history proves that he will remove any rival at any cost. Here's the the truth. We often want to be king. It's the same for us. This story is about dueling kings. One is legitimate and one is not. The story pictures for us our own story in life. We are like one of the two kings. And you might be wondering, uh, since we cannot be Jesus, then do, am I suggesting that we are King Herod? Well, it's true. We're not exactly King Herod in lots of ways. I hope you're not. Um, there, I hope there are very few things that are, you have in common. You may not be ready to have babies slaughtered. But we all struggle with letting God be king over our lives Letting him determine when and where and hows of life. We struggle in that. In the book I referenced earlier, uh, Keller suggests that according to the Bible, the evil of the world ultimately stems from self-centeredness, self-righteousness, and self-absorption of every human heart. Each of us wants to set ourselves up as king in our own life. Each of us wants the world to orbit around us and our needs and desires. We do not want to serve God or our neighbor. We want them to serve us. He continues to say that in every human heart, then, there is a little King Herod that wants to rule and that is threatened by anything that may compromise its omnipotence or its strength, its sovereignty, its control. Each of us wants to be the captain of our own soul, the master of our own fate, he says. We want at all costs to remain on the throne of our lives. This is the natural human condition, desire, may flee from religion and become atheists and loudly claim that there is no God. Or we may actually use religion to sit on that throne, trying to put God in the position of having to do our bidding because we are so good. Either way, We are expressing our natural hostility to the lordship of the true king, Jesus. Denying uh, God accomplishes nothing, and neither does trying to be good enough accomplishes nothing. The message behind Christmas is that we don't control God. 
We did nothing to bring Jesus to earth. We did nothing to deserve his death on our behalf. And we can do nothing to repay what God has given. If we accept the baby of Christmas as king, say it another way, if we trust in Jesus as our Lord, unlike Herod, we must give him the privilege of being our king. So, the message for us today is actually really simple. The message to me today is really simple. Make Jesus your king. Make Jesus my king. But the question is, how do we do that, right? To make Jesus your king, you must first declare allegiance to him. In Romans 5.10, Paul says that we were all enemies of God. And we have to start there. We were all enemies of God. We were all King Herods. And if we have never trusted in the identity, life, sacrificial death of the baby of Christmas on our behalf, we still are, well, enemies of God. So no one can be really neutral about whether Christmas is true. If the Son of God was really born in a major, then we have lost the right to be in charge of our lives. Who can be objective about a claim that if it's true means you've lost control of your life? You can't be. Have you committed to following Jesus with your life? Have you given yourself to him always? Have you recognized Jesus as king? Kids that are here, there are some of you um, who are here, maybe you're thinking you're too young. And I don't believe that that's true. If you're listening and you understand what, what following Jesus is and why you need to do it, then you need to tell God of your commitment to follow him. And then you need to tell others. Maybe you're unsure how to proceed or maybe you committed to God a while ago. Maybe you've lived life. You committed to God at one point, but you've never really done anything more. Commit anew to following him. Declare him as king. Tell someone about it. Talk to one of us after service about your commitment to Jesus. Let God's people celebrate with you and help you to find the next steps of what being faithful is. It's true that no matter who you are, you haven't always followed Jesus. No matter, no matter which one of us is thinking about it, we haven't always followed Jesus. I know many of us have gone to church for years. You know what to do and what to say. You may remember a time when you first declared Jesus as king. Maybe you went forward. Maybe you were baptized in the church uh, and into a church. These are all great, but they cannot be the end. Our lives must be lived in declaration of God as our king, of Jesus as our king. So how is your life changing because of your commitment to your king? How is your life um, different today than it was because Jesus is in charge? How are you being faithful to hear from him? What he declares and decrees. See, declaration by itself, you saying I follow Jesus isn't enough. You have to actually follow Jesus. Second, to make Jesus your king, you must commit to follow him. Your declaration of following Jesus will be followed up by commitment. We commonly talk about Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, and this kind of captures it for me. We must recognize Jesus as our Savior. We need Him. We can do nothing. We, we, we can do nothing without Him. We can't do anything without Him. His love requires a response from us, and it will bring, as we understand it, a response from us. That recognition causes us to commit to Him as our Lord. He is one we will be following, one to be His, because He is our King. He is the one in charge of us. If Jesus is king, you must give him your throne. 
must give him the power and the authority over your life that he deserves, at least the position, your commitment to him. What does it look like? It means that the decisions of who you marry, where you work, what you do on vacation, what you spend your money on, even what you do with your free time has a reference to God. It's important. He must be your priority. If he's your priority, then we'll give whatever he asks. We'll, give where, we'll go wherever he demands. We'll do whatever he leads us to faithfully. As Southern Baptists, we just finished a time of thinking about Lottie Moon Christmas offering, which was an emphasis uh, where we talk about and financially give to those who are sent to the nations. Now, we give yearly, all the time, at every point throughout the year, but we also give specially to those who have gone outside of North America. It's possible that God may lead us to give some money so that people in other places will hear about Jesus. It's possible um, that they will hear of the baby of Christmas for the first time. Jesus, the King. If God is challenging us to give, our church can still do that without any trouble if you want to give. It's possible that God might lead us, though, to consider whether we should prepare someday to go. But going far away is not all there is. We we need to think about where we can go. But the nations are here, actually. We could go if God calls us to, and we should have a willingness to go. But the truth is, the nations are here, even in Canton. It's crazy to think about it, but I know of multiple nationalities on the football team, just the football team at Culver. So that's a, a proportion, a small proportion, well, maybe significant proportion of Culver students. Multiple nationalities on that team right here in Canton. I know some of the professors are from faraway places. I don't know all the nationalities there. I know students at the elementary and high school who are learning English as they're doing school because they've come from and were born somewhere else. These are all people in Canton. The nations are here. How are we being faithful? Finally, Lottie Moon time gives us a reminder to pray. We pray for God to move around us and through us and throughout the world. We submit to a king who is us here, wherever that is right now. And we submit to a king who sometimes says to go somewhere else. I'm not saying we're all supposed to go far away or do strange things or eat strange food. I'm not saying that we'll all be anything but exactly where we are and where God sends us. That could be right where you are. Are you content in that place? Are you serving in that place? Is God your priority in that place? What I'm saying is we need to make sure that all of our cards are on the table. All of our commitments are there. You need to let God decide how your life will progress and be excited about what he will do through you wherever that is, no matter where it is. Follow him in your opportunities. Some days you'll have opportunities. You'll be able to do things, whether it is here or there. As we study his word, we'll know his desires. We'll see and begin to think like God does. We'll begin to want what he wants and that may send us across the street to a neighbor that we don't know that well. Might send us to uh, someone else. Might send us far away. As we fervently then pray for the kingdom, we will be changed. Because we'll realize that we're a part of what God is doing. God is working. We get to see him work. 
We need to join him in prayer and activity too. As we grow in our understanding and our obedience to him, we'll see God working in our lives and how that impacts others. We will be changed if we let the baby of Christmas be the king of our lives. Don't be like Herod. That Don't ever hear that as the moral of the story. Be different. Let him be king. Let me pray for us. Jesus, help us not to be like Herod. Help us to see you, who you are, how you are a better king over our lives than we could ever be. God, help us to come like the wise men do and pay homage to you as our king. Help us to honor you as our king. Help us to be amazed by who you are and what you have done and what you've promised to do. Help us be faithful to you in our lives. God, help us to tell others of who you are. Ask God. Uh, we, we, we ask you, God, you would change us. God, we ask you to work. Work in our own lives to change us. We also ask you to work here in Canton. God, that you would reach this town. That you would, you would change people's lives hearts in this town as they recognize you as their king. God, we pray that you would change the world through Canton, that you would be um, changing lives that would be sent to the nations or go back to the nations and declare, declare your truth. God, may you be king over all things. May you be praised forever. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.